to be here tonight. How many of you did not know Pastor Brian was not going to be here? Go ahead and slip your hand up. Did you not? If you didn't know and you walked in, you're like, who's this guy? You can go ahead and leave. I will not take it personally. I'll understand. So, but it's a real blessing and an honor for me to be here. We actually had the privilege to be at this church for a little while, just for a few months. When we moved here from Oregon, we were going to be starting a church as well. And we were here from a November till about February. So it was about three, four months or so. And it, it was a long time ago. It was almost seven years. This November will be seven years. And it's been a long time because some of you don't remember us. I could tell. You come up to me tonight telling me your name. And I, I know. You don't, you don't remember me, huh? I could tell. So, but anyway, but uh, it was so great being here and we loved it. And uh, I got to work with the teens a little bit when I was here. And now those teens are, are in their 20s and things. So it makes me feel a little bit old. I have my wife here. And when she was here, uh, Connie, we had our daughter, Sila, who's on the very end. And my wife was expecting our second daughter, which is Hadessa. And now we have two boys, too. So you got to build the church some way, am I right? So uh, that's what we've been doing. And then this is Elizabeth. She's uh, one of our, be our, our best teen, one of our best. She just graduated from high school, so she came along for the ride as well. So anyway, such a blessing to be with you. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Luke. I won't be super long. Um, Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19. And while you're turning there, let me just say uh, what a great pastor you have, Pastor Brian. I hope you're watching this right now. No, I'm just kidding. But Pastor Brian and I, we had the uh, opportunity to grow up together. I met him when I was five years old, and we went to the same school. We went to the same church from five all the way through. Um, I was the best man in his wedding. He was the best man in my wedding. And uh, to just see how incredible this church is doing. I mean, this is a midweek service. And the pastor's not here, and you're all still here. I mean, it's so awesome. I'm trying to teach our people that when I'm not there, there no one else is there either. I don't know where they go, but they don't go to church a lot of times. Anyway, so, but uh, you're all here, and it's great. And I, I was with Pastor Brian the day he met with the six or five committee people, and this was part of a school, and uh, the auditorium had those wooden pews, you know, the ones that made your back hurt, you know, and, and the carpet was completely different. And now you just walk in, and you see it. And it's amazing. And it's not just the church building that is different. It is the people. You're happy. People are walking around. They're fellowshipping. I've been greeted 10 times. Uh, I've been asked what my name was. And, and you're friendly. And I just love it. And I think it's a reflection of him. And it's a reflection of you. And so what a great place. Uh, Luke chapter number 19. Be speaking on probably a familiar character for many of you. Uh, perhaps not for some use. So I'll give a little background. But the Bible says there in Luke chapter number 19 and verse number 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And there's a little kid song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? We were kids, you know, and you hear about this guy. But who was this Zacchaeus guy? It says here he was a chief publican. That means this guy, he was a tax collector. Does anybody in here like the IRS? There's no IRS workers in here, are there? Okay, so is anybody here like the IRS? No, no one in here likes the IRS, right? Some of you are emphatically shaking your heads. Some almost walked out. Hang on, the sermon's not about the IRS, right? Stay there. But uh, no, nobody really likes that, right? So here's Zacchaeus. He is, in essence, an IRS agent, and uh, his job is to collect taxes for the Romans, the hated Romans, the Romans that rule over these people. They don't like the Romans, and the Romans don't like them. 
and Zacchaeus, he is a Jewish man working for the enemy. And not only that, he is collecting taxes from these people, and he's not honest. He is saying, you owe this much money, you owe 500 shillings or whatever, and they don't. They owe 300. He's taking 200, and he's pocketing it. The Romans don't care. Just so long as they get their 300, they're happy. So this guy is getting fat, and he's getting rich off his own people working for the enemy. And he's in the city of Jericho. This is not Jerusalem, but it's one of the bigger cities. So he's not in New York City, but he's, he's in Chicago. He's in Houston. He's in a gigantic city working for the enemy. Oh, and he was good at it. He was so good at it, they made him chief among all the publicans. He was number one publican. Not a very popular guy. And on top of it, we see there in verse number three that he's little of stature. So he's a little short guy. Now, I don't know if you ever met somebody like this, but you ever met somebody that has what they call short man syndrome? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here can get a witness, right? You ever met someone who maybe they're a little shorter, they're a little vertically challenged, and so they try and compensate for it? The college pastor Brian and us went to, there was a chief security guard, and man, this guy, he was about yay tall, and you know, he was in his 40s, and he came up to about my chest, and oh man, he had to make up for it, and so he'd be looking to get you a ticket, he'd be looking to get you in trouble. One time my parents were visiting, and he gave my dad a ticket for parking and visitor parking. So I go to him and I say, brother so-and-so, in case you're watching, I won't say his name, but brother so-and-so, why'd you give my dad a ticket? He goes, well, he parked in visitor parking. Hey, newsflash, brother so-and-so, he's a visitor. Oh, well, you should have had him park in staff parking, but he's not staff. Then you would have given him a ticket and he would have deserved the ticket, right? This guy is always just trying to wield his power. I don't even known somebody like that, but that's just how I picture Zacchaeus here trying to wield his power, little short man syndrome, and the guy's a thief and a publican and nobody likes him. Nobody likes him. Yet in verse number three, we see here he is. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was to pass that way. Here is this short, egotistical, rich, powerful, traitorous, not a very popular guy, wanting to see Jesus. No, that's not the type of guy you would think that wants to go and see Jesus. Yet here he is wanting to see Jesus. It's amazing timing because Luke, the guy that wrote this, one chapter earlier, Jesus had just finished saying how hard it is for a rich man to come to the Savior. And yet in the very next chapter, we see not just any rich man, but Zacchaeus coming to the Savior. In fact, when you go back one chapter to Luke chapter 18, I want to look at this real quick. Luke 18, verse 18. Luke 18, verse 18, the Bible says, And a certain ruler asked him, him being Jesus, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. So this guy, he's rich. He comes up to Jesus and says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, why are you calling me good? Now, Jesus, this is kind of a little trick question. He's asking why the guy is saying it. He's not saying like, well, why are you, call oh, shuck, why are you calling me good? No, he's saying, how come you're saying it? I know why I'm good. I'm the son of God. Why are you saying I'm good? And so this rich man, before he can give an answer, Jesus says, okay, you want to know what to do to go to heaven? Verse 20, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And in verse 21, this rich guy says, 
all these things have I kept from my youth up. Jesus says, you want to go to heaven? He says, how have you done with the Ten Commandments? Now, this is a soul-winning church. You go door-knocking, do you not? You pass out tracts, do you not? You try and witness to your family, don't you? You know what you don't say in the plan of salvation? You don't say, well, you know, Grandma, you want to go to heaven? you got to keep the Ten Commandments. We don't say that. That's, that's not what we teach. That's a little bit more of a, a, a different doctrine, a Catholic doctrine, if you will. We don't teach that because nobody keeps the Ten Commandments. This guy is saying, my entire life I have kept all the Ten Commandments. Really? You've never lied. You never disobeyed your parents. You're lying right now. You never, ever stole anything. You were never in college and you were hungry, and you looked in the cupboard, and there's your roommate's chips. You never grabbed the chips and opened them. Might be confessing my sins up here. And you've never, ever stolen anything like that. You've never, ever wanted what somebody else has. And the guy says, yep, not once. My entire life, never done any of those things. Now, if this guy's talking to me, I'm like, okay, look, buddy, there's the door. I'm busy. I've got time to talk with you. This know-it-all guy who's claiming that he's perfect, I don't want to talk to this guy. But Jesus kind of like the guy. Jesus says there, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was rich. Jesus gives him a really interesting answer. He says, you want to go to heaven? No problem. You've kept all the commandments? Great. One more thing you got to do. Go and sell everything you have and then follow me, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Again, that's not a part of the plan of salvation. Brother Louis, when Pastor Brian talked to you about this church, I don't think he went to Brother Louis and said, Brother Louis, you want to come to my church? Okay, sell your truck, sell your house, sell your clothes, except for what you're wearing, and come and follow me and live at the church. He didn't say that. If he has invited you and talked to you about coming to church, that was not in Pastor Brian's plan of salvation. He never told you to sell everything you have. So why is Jesus telling this rich guy, hey, buddy, you want to go to heaven? Sell everything you have. When you go door knocking next time, try that. Hey, you want to trust Christ as your Savior? Okay, great. See that car out there, that Mercedes? Sell it. You know this house, this $500,000 house? Better put it on the market if you want to get to heaven. That's not the plan of salvation. There's nothing in the Bible about that. So why is Jesus telling this guy that? Because this rich man had his faith, number one, in himself, Oh, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I've never broken any commandments. His faith's not in God. His faith is in himself and his own works. Number two, his faith is in his money. And Jesus wanted to see if this man would take that faith from his money and put it into Jesus. That is how we get to heaven, isn't it? Faith in the Lord? This is a test. Will you put your faith in the Lord? And the answer was no. And so Jesus there says, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When I was a kid, I thought that meant trying to poke a camel with a needle, you know, and so the, cam I don't know if the camel's fast or he's dodging or whatever. Or some people think it means you stuff a camel into a needle, which would be basically impossible. Or there is a teaching that in the city of Jerusalem, there was a small area called the needle, and to try and squish a camel through there was near impossible. It doesn't really matter. The point Jesus is trying to make here is that it's really, really, really tough for a rich person to come to the Lord. Nigh impossible for a rich person to come to the Lord. Yet one chapter later, Jesus is going to show us the impossible is possible. And the hard cases, the hard people to reach, 
can still be reached. Who in here tonight is thinking of someone and you think, I would love for this person to come to the Lord. I would love for this family member to come to Christ. I have been inviting so-and-so to come to church for years, and they're just, they're just never going to come. I have a, a friend who they're battling with addiction, and I know that the answer is the Lord. But no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much time goes by, they just get deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And you know what? I'm beginning to lose hope. I don't think they're ever going to come to the Lord. That is why this story is so beautiful, because the cases that seem impossible, can I tell you, they are possible. Whoever you are thinking about right now that you think there's just no way they're going to come to the Lord, oh, no, they can come. It's possible. It is possible. They can come to the Lord. It's just maybe not possible for us to do it through our own power. Now, I don't know who you're thinking of. I don't know who's on your brain right now. I don't know if there's a hard case in here tonight where you don't usually come to church. I don't know most of you. Uh, you might be a visitor here tonight, and you stumbled into this church because, you know, I have nothing better to do, and here you are. If you're an impossible case yourself, I'm here to tell you that the impossible with the Lord is possible. It can be done, and if you have given up on someone or you've become discouraged with someone, they can still be reached. It is not hopeless. It is not over. They can be reached. I believe this chapter here, this story, gives a little bit of a path, a little bit of a roadmap on how we can do that, how perhaps the Lord could use some of you to do that. The first thing here is to remember that Jesus has all power and he can reach the hard cases. It's important to remember that because if you don't, number one, you'll lose hope. It's really easy to lose hope. It's really easy to get discouraged, especially those of you that you have tried to reach out and reach someone. If there's anyone in here, you've gone door knocking or you've tried to start a bus route, you've tried to teach a class, and you invest your life into people, and you invest money into people, and you invest emotion into people, and then they fall away, and then they go away. And you know what happens? When they leave, they take a small part of you with them, and you're a little heartbroken. And now you're scared to trust somebody again because I put so much into this person and they left and they turned their back on me. I don't want that to happen again. But you know what? That's not fair to the next person. That next person didn't leave you. That first person left. And that next person needs as much love as that first person needed. So it's important to remember Jesus can reach everyone so you don't lose hope. Also, it's important to remember so we don't turn into Pharisees. It's really easy when you've been in church a long time. You got your designated seat, right? All the little kids know, don't go by that seat. That's, that's Miss So-and-So's. Don't touch that seat, right? You know, they come running. Oh, you know, they don't want to look over there. Right? Yeah. It's really easy to become a Pharisee. And you've sat in this church for a long time, and you've seen the people come and go, and somebody comes up, and they confess the Lord. and go, oh, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And there you sit, arms crossed. Yeah, seen that before. Bet he doesn't make it past the month, right? It's really easy for us to get like that, where we become a, a little judgy maybe, where we look at someone and go, oh, I don't think they really meant that. I know they got baptized, but I don't think they really meant that. Oh, remember that so-and-so said they were going to change this, and they're going to stop doing that, and there they are doing the exact same thing. And it's real easy to become a little pharisaical. Hey, the Lord can reach anyone, and everyone moves along at a different pace. Zacchaeus here was reached by the Lord. This is a guy that people probably thought, no way but if a change can happen in Zacchaeus, it can happen in anyone. Now, how did this change come about? Number one, Zacchaeus had a desire for change. Zacchaeus felt guilty, and he himself had a desire for change. 
You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit moves inside, and now your sins have been washed away. You are a new creature. This hard case you've been thinking about, can I ask you something? Are they saved? This person that you're thinking about, this person that you struggle with, perhaps you yourself are a hard case. Are you saved or are they saved? You know what we do? We get these little self-help books. We have these little speeches prepared. We're going to go and change this person, and they're not even saved. They've never even trusted Christ. How are you going to change someone if they've never even trusted Christ? They're not even a born-again believer. How are they supposed to change? This flesh here is never going to change. This is why Christ said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This flesh is still the flesh. I'm still the same sinful, bad person that I have always been. This flesh hasn't gone anywhere. Thank God I have Jesus now so I can fight that old nature. But man, my flesh, if I allow it to be, is as strong as ever. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because your flesh is the same way. Our flesh holds us back. What could you do if you didn't have that flesh? If you were 100% in the spirit at all times, man, what could God do with you? Oh, you can do a lot of things with this, right? This flesh. Oh, this is why Paul said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I would, I do not. And the things that I would not, there I'm doing it. You ever done something? Man, I hate myself. How did I do that? Oh, I know how. <laughs> the flesh. Wasn't you, it was that flesh. Oh, that flesh that holds us back. So this person that you want to change, they're not even saved. They have almost zero chance to change. So you know what you got to do? You have to help lead them to the Lord. You have to help them come to Christ and to get saved. Pastor Brian may not be able to do it. Another pastor may not be able to do it. You know them. You're thinking about them. Have you ever witnessed to them? Well, I don't be so awkward, you know? How would I, how would I bring that up? I don't know. How about, hey, do you know where you're going to go someday when you die? Or, hey, can I talk to you about the Lord? Or, hey, we got to have a serious talk. I don't know how you want to word it, but we have to word it some way. We as Christians, we get so chicken sometimes, and we don't want to tell our loved ones about Christ because, oh, it's going to cause a fight at the dinner table, you know, and I don't want to do that, and I'm so timid. Listen, you have to do it. That is why the Lord puts you in that spot. Sure, Pastor Brian can go, but you'll probably be more effective. Yeah, another staff member maybe could go, but you're the right person for the job. If you really want them to change, you have to lead them to the Lord. It's not you that's going to change them. It's not Pastor Brian that's going to change them. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to change them, and it is this book that is going to change them. And if they don't have that Holy Spirit inside of them, there's probably not going to be any change. There's probably not going to be any change. Are they saved? And if the answer is no, well, ding, 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 you got the first thing to work on. Now, I know many of you, maybe that's a little elementary, and you go, well, of course they're saved. Of course I'm saved. Okay, fantastic. Let's move on to the next thing then. The Bible says in John 6, 44, that unless the Father draws someone, they're not going to come to him. I'm paraphrasing, so let me turn there and read it for you. That way I don't butcher the verse. But in John chapter 6, and verse number 44, the Bible says, hang on. It says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. So the Lord has to draw someone. This is where prayer comes in, us praying for this person, praying that the Father would draw them. But something 
equally as important as us praying for this person is a light. Jesus said that we as Christians are supposed to be a light on a hill that cannot be hid. This person you want to reach, when they see you, what do they see? Do they see a changed life? Because if they do, if they see a light and they go, man, it worked for so-and-so, worked for my friend, worked for my cousin, worked for my uncle, they'll sit you down at some point and they'll say, I want what you have. You are a changed life. I want my life to be changed too. But if they see you and they don't see a light, why would they want what you have if we're not any different than them? If my friends or my family or my unsaved loved ones or whoever looks at me and there's no difference, I go where they go, I drink what they drink, I listen to what they listen to, I'm the exact same as they are, why would they come to me for an answer? I'm no different than they are. I'm the exact same. But if they see a light and they see a difference and they see a change, they'll say, I want what they have. You're a light. You have a changed life because, man, I used to know you back in the day. I used to know you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years, you know, whatever many years ago. And you have had a changed life. And I've been following you. And I've been watching you. And I've been studying you. You're a changed life. I want to be changed like you. But there has to be a light. Zacchaeus climbed up that tree because he saw a light when he saw Jesus. When he heard the stories of Jesus, he thought something different about that guy. And when he was there hearing parts of that sermon, he climbed up that tree. He humbled himself. He abased himself because when he looked at Jesus, he saw a light. People will come to the Lord if they see a light. And the fact is, you are the best representation they are going to see. So it's very important that we be a light. Next thing here. Zacchaeus had a guilt and a desire for change. He humbled himself. Pride can be such a dangerous thing. And uh, nobody likes to be humble. No one likes humility. And I'm the same way. I'm not the most humble person in the world. I have to humble myself. But humility is a big part. Pride is so dangerous. This is why in the book of Proverbs it talks about uh, pride goeth before a fall. Yeah, if you exalt yourself, you'll be abased. Zacchaeus was willing to humble himself, and he came to the Lord. Someone who is proud and unwilling to humble themselves, they're going to have a hard time coming to the Lord. Now, listen, I'm a guest speaker, so, you know, you take it or leave it. But pride, as we struggle with that, it can well up in us so much. You have anybody you're fighting with right now? You know, I got a coworker I, I struggle with a little bit. And when she does something, and she's the payroll lady, so I probably should be nice to her, right, you know, or whatever. But she does something to get me mad, and it's her fault. What am I going to do? Do I have to wait for her to come apologize to me? Or am I going to go over her and I'm going to apologize to her? You know, sometimes we have these feuds that go on with friends and family. And it goes on for years, for years. And it's all because we're waiting for them to call us. I'm not going to call them first. They did me wrong, so they got to call me first. And there we sit, facing the wall, hands in our pockets. No way, I'm not going to talk to them. And they're waiting for you to call them, and they're not going to talk to you. And it's nothing but pride. It's nothing but pride. Someone has to humble themselves Someone has to be willing to say, you know what? This is stupid. I love you. I'm sorry about what happened. Let's fix this. And so much humility can change so much. You know the thing? We think pride is so strong. Oh, I'm so strong. No one's going to disrespect me. Oh, I know. No one can disrespect us, right? And no one's going to talk to me that way. And by the way, I think you should have some self-respect. Don't be a, a doormat and let people walk all over you. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, we get this arrogance sometimes. And the fact is, to be humble takes a lot more strength. 
to be humble. You're a much stronger person. Anybody can go off on a coworker and scream at them. But someone to just take what they say and, you know, smile, God bless you, and walk away, that is a strong person. I wish I could stand up here and say I always do that, but I don't. Uh, if I say I do, I'll be like the rich man in the previous chapter lying up here, right? So I don't. Pride, though. If we can put our pride away and humble ourselves and abase ourselves, we can get so much further. So Zacchaeus here, he was willing to humble himself. He was willing for a change. And when someone is willing to humble themselves, now they're willing to have a change. As soon as they humble themselves, they're on the right path to change themselves. Let's look back at our scripture here, and we're rounding to the end here. Go ahead and look there, if you're still open, at verse number 5. It says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, goes to his house. Zacchaeus sits Jesus down and he says, Listen, I have been a terrible person. I have been a thief, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I am willing to make a change. And he starts with his money. Not an easy place to start, right? There's a bunch of places that are tough to start. Money's one of them. He says, I'm going to make a real change, a real change. He says, if I have anyone, I am going to pay them back four times. I stole 10 bucks from this guy. He's getting 40. I stole 1,000 bucks from that guy. He's getting 4,000. This guy is shelling out the money. He is shelling out the dough. He said, I'm going to give away half of my goods to the poor. Now, this is crazy, right? This is the opposite. Zacchaeus is a rich and wealthy man. He's got a big, beautiful house. He's got a condo. He's got, you know, a, a guest house in Hawaii. I mean, he's got all this stuff, right? This guy's got money. He's got all this. And he was probably very selfish with his money before. And now he is making a huge statement. He is stepping out big time by faith. He's saying, I'm going to give away half my goods, and I'm going to pay back four times those I've stolen from. That's a huge step of faith. Ah, faith is not fun. Faith can be scary. But when you step out by faith, real change is coming. That's when real change is coming. Money is just one area. It could be time. It could be love. It could be job. It could be whatever it could be. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help and guide. But when we step out by faith, we are heading down the right path. Zacchaeus didn't know if it was going to work out. Zacchaeus didn't know if things were going to go good. Zacchaeus did not know, hey, how's this going to play out? He said, i got to make a change. And I can't keep on doing the same old thing over and over again. And if we want to change or you know someone who needs a change in their life, they cannot continue to do the same thing all over again. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. Zacchaeus took a step of faith. And you know what? As Zacchaeus went to those doors, and as he knocked on the door, and the guy's looking through the curtain, oh, Zacchaeus, what does he want? He's here to rob us again. He's here to steal more from us. And Zacchaeus handed the guy a big bag of money. You know who was happier that day? Zacchaeus. 
I mean, the guy that got the money, I'm sure he was happy too, right? Who doesn't like money? But Zacchaeus was so happy. And as he's going through the neighborhood and he's handing out money and he's giving this guy money and I robbed this guy. Hey, buddy, here you go. Here's a thousand bucks, you know. Here, here's two hundred dollars. Man, Zacchaeus, he probably clicked his heels, you know. He was so excited. Zacchaeus never felt so good, even though his wallet had never been so light before. Why? Because that's real change. He had real change in his life. And he had to take that step of faith. I think the thing that finally pushed him over the edge to take that step of faith, well, I don't think, I know, it was Jesus, of course. But how was it Jesus? See, when Zacchaeus was climbing down that tree, he heard what everybody was saying. He heard when the people said, you're going to that guy's house? You know what that guy has done? You know who that is? He's going to go eat with that sinner? He wants to go to that guy's house? Zacchaeus heard all that. He might have been short, but he wasn't deaf. He heard what they said. He knew what they thought. And Jesus, someone he looked up to and respected, was willing to take a chance on him, was willing to go out on a limb with him and say, I don't care what these guys say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house right now. And he went to his house. And as soon as Jesus said that and did that, you see Zacchaeus is willing to step out by faith. If that guy, Jesus, who might be the son of God, Zacchaeus is thinking, if he's willing to take a chance on me, if he believes in me, then maybe I can do this. You know, sometimes someone who needs change in their life, what they really need is love and faith from someone that they look up to, respect, or believe in. That's all they need. What about you? You ever have a time in your life where you needed someone to believe in you? You need someone to take a chance on you. You need someone to take a step of faith out on you. Well, sometimes that's what other people need too. We all need that sometimes. This person that you're thinking about, maybe all they need is for you, someone that they admire, someone that they respect, someone that they look up to, be willing to give them a chance. Be willing to put your arm around them and say, look, we can do this. I believe in you. You say, if you had any idea how many times I have done that, and they have failed me. If how many times I have trusted them and they have let me down, you would not even say that. And to that I would say, maybe they need it one more time. Real change comes when someone shows love and belief in someone, and there is no greater showing of love or belief, really, than faith. That's what God gives to us. That's what God shows us. And you know, that's what God wants from us. God's real. We all know God's real. But why does he make it so hard? If God wanted to, couldn't he write it in the stars? They say that the stars are limitless. They used to name them, and then they just stopped. Now they just number them because there's so many of them. So if God wanted to, he could write up in the sky, hey, I'm real, you know, believe in me, in every single language on earth, if he wanted to. And if he did that, everybody would believe in him, wouldn't they? So why doesn't he do that? Isn't God wanting everyone to come to the Lord? Isn't God not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Write it in the sky, and everyone's going to repent. But that's the point. If he did that, it would take zero faith. And God wants faith because God wants love. Let me to illustrate this. Uh, Anthony, can I borrow you? Can you come up here real quick? Anthony's come on trips with us. I'm a little bitter because he's ditching us for this next trip. Come on, Anthony, man. I could have used you. Anthony and Isaiah. I got Anthony here, and you can see the resemblance. Me and Anthony could be related, right? A little bit? Okay. Let's pretend Anthony's my son here, and uh, Anthony goes to the school here, I think, right? And Anthony, he's been a bad boy. 
And uh, he's been throwing rocks at the teacher, and he tripped the principal and pushed him down the stairs. And, uh, you know, he yelled at Miss Caroline. And so Pastor Brian calls me up and says, listen, we've got to talk to you about your son Anthony here. And uh, I don't think he should come back to school. And so I plead and I beg, and Pastor Brian says, one more chance. Give this kid one more chance. And then I'm calling Juvie, and he's going behind bars, right? And I, so I come to Anthony, and I say, Anthony, son, you look so much like me. No, I say, son, listen, you have been a terrible, terrible kid. You've been a terrible student. You don't know what four times four is. You curse and you swear, and you know what? You have given me no reason to believe in you as a son or a student. They're going to give you one more chance. And you know what? Son, I believe in you. Even though nobody else does, even though your teachers don't, maybe even Pastor Brian doesn't, I believe in you because you're my son, and I think you can do this. What will that mean to him? He's given me no reason to believe in him. He has given me no reason to think he can do this. I am choosing to have faith in him because I love him. There is no pure sense of love than that. Thank you, Anthony. You can be seated. That's the kind of faith people need. And that's why God likes faith on his behalf. See, God's perfect. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't throw rocks at the teacher and he doesn't yell at people or anything like that. So instead, what he does is he doesn't make it so obvious. You have to seek him to find him. Oh, but if you have the faith to seek him, you will find him. He guarantees that. Seek me early and you'll find me. Zacchaeus here did a 180, and I believe the most powerful reason was someone he looked up to and someone he respected, loved him enough to believe in him, to take a stand up for him, and to say, you can do this. And you know what? He could do this. Who are you thinking about? Who are the hard cases in your life? Who are the people that you have been trying to reach and you have been praying for and you are just about to quit on them? Listen, they may need you and your faith now more than ever. They need someone to look at, someone who is a light, someone who they respect to say, I believe in you. Even if you've got to cross your fingers behind your back, do it, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But they just need someone to believe in them. And when they get that, they will make a big change. I don't know who it is. I know we have cases. I know you have cases because I have cases. I have people in my church, whether they're young people or older people, middle-aged or older, and I look at them and I say, what shot do we have? I mean, this is an area here that's probably tough to reach people. I'm in Riverside. I'm next to the east side in downtown Riverside. The stuff I see, I'm thinking, what in the world? But God can reach anyone. God could do it with the Zacchaeus. He can do it with anyone. Man, I need to do my part because I know he's going to do his part. We want to reach this world, don't we? And that person you're thinking about, you want to help reach them, don't you? Man, God could use you. God could use you to do that. And we have the blueprint here in the life of Zacchaeus. Joel, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for this church, this great, great church, pastored by a great man, a dear friend, a wonderful Christian. And, Lord, I, I'm just here one night. I have no idea the struggles or battles that everyone here goes through. But a lot of people came out here on a Wednesday night to hear someone they don't really know. And so I know, Lord, that they love you and they love your word, and they're not here for... Uh, just any old reason, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that they have someone in mind, you have laid them on their heart where they feel like, I would love to reach this person. I just don't know if it could be done. I pray, God, that you would increase their faith. You would help them know what they can do and that this person, whoever they might be, could be reached for you. We'll give you the praise and glory for it. In your name I pray, amen.